Welcome to Thought Studio, an intellectual space to confront inconspicuous and sometimes insidious aspects of our society. In this podcast, the scope for explorations is limitless, from domestic to public spheres, from cells to galaxies, crossing the border between physical and metaphysical realms. So join us as we ask big questions and offer unique perspectives in the hopes of offering clarity and insight. In this episode, Amy and Karen will examine chronic loneliness. So Karen, did you have dinner yet? I ate kanji. Okay, were you alone while eating your kanji? Yes, I was physically alone, but mentally so not alone. So you're in physical solitude, but you weren't feeling lonely, right? No, I was not lonely at all. I guess I could say the same for myself. I'm always alone, either with YouTube to entertain myself, or I'm alone cleaning the house. And I don't really feel lonely. Do you sometimes feel lonely though? It really depends on how I think about being lonely. If you do some quick Googling, loneliness should be defined as a negative feeling. And it depends on how you interpret the state of being alone. If you find that this state of being alone is super frustrating and you want to get out of it, you want to become more social, you want to be more around more people, then you'll definitely feel lonely. But if you are thoroughly enjoying the state of being alone, this could sometimes be some form of solitude. And everybody just, I guess, especially online, says the art of solitude, right? But that's kind of abstract when you're using that as a standard compared to loneliness. I was thinking that loneliness is actually a very subjective individual experience. It's like when you feel hunger or thirst. I totally agree. I only feel lonely when I try to let myself be lonely. Loneliness is definitely a problem for some people. But at least for me, it's not a thing because I could pretend I'm not lonely and then I won't feel lonely. That's great, Karen. <laughs> okay. I mean, you still feel kind of lonely, right? If you uh, move to a new country, city, or you transfer to a new school, you get the new situation loneliness. Or maybe um, imagine yourself living in 17th century England when everyone else was heterosexual. And for example, I'm not saying you are, but for example, you're homosexual, which was, you know, against the law. That's kind of isolation. Do you think you would still feel lonely? or, I guess, happy with your solitude in that condition? I honestly do not know. I cannot relate. But I could see it happening, and I could see it not happening. I could see both situations being a thing. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying. Oh, that reminded me there's, like, another type of loneliness. Ooh, a third one. Yes. But this one's kind of for teenagers, I find. It's called the no-sweetheart loneliness. Oh, and yeah, when everybody's in pairs and you're single, that's probably where it comes from, but I've never experienced that yet. I do know a few people who have that though, so they would go into a relationship just so they're in a relationship. You know I, I mean? sense this as some form of social pressure. Uh, it's almost the same thing as in some cultures, at least in a lot of teenage and going on to the 20s. I don't know about like older people, but there seems to be always this social pressure of guys having to always be having sex with someone or something. <laughs> like, this is, this is a problem, okay? Do you get all the, do you see all the memes online? Be like, ha ha ha, you're a virgin and you should be ashamed. Oh, yes. The yes. 
shaming the virgin thing. Yeah, so I bet that's going to be a cause similar to a no sweetheart uh, loneliness or probably just a no partner loneliness. So I found two other loneliness types more common compared to the no sweetheart loneliness. Perhaps it is a no time for me loneliness, which I'm sure that people who have siblings, they all experience at some point in their lives. And there is also the untrustworthy friend loneliness, which I never experienced, thankfully. But it is common when friends become more distant. Yeah, when your friends just drift off and you're like, wait, but are we still friends? Insert <laughs> exactly. sad emoji. Right, so loneliness was actually something that didn't bother a lot of us for a long time until chronic loneliness became a thing. So that basically is when you're, you feel very lonely for a long period of time and your social needs aren't met. And I guess not necessarily social needs because you could still be in a group of people and still feel loneliness. But for chronic loneliness, you eventually distance yourself from the group of people. So chronic loneliness is the only type of loneliness, I would say, where you're alone and truly lonely. And we also have some statistics here. In the UK, 60% of 18 to 34 year olds say they often feel lonely. And in the US, 46% of the entire population feel lonely regularly. I'm not sure if this is a decline in social skills. What are you thinking, Karen? So I did some Googling, and apparently studies have shown that the number of social connections in adults does not have a correlation, does not have a very strong correlation with the social skills in the adults. And this could be the way we define social connections, or how connected are these social connections. Right, so what that implies is that all sorts of people, no matter old or young, famous or ordinary, or if you're just popular, or you tend to be more secluded and by yourself, we all feel lonely, no matter what. It's just a feeling that we all get, except some of us just get it less often. Well, if solitude is not bad, then why is loneliness bad? Because they are both by yourself, right? Could that be because you choose solitude, but you don't choose loneliness? And is there a biological reason for this? We will let you think about that question while we go take a break. So, as we were saying, we wanted to know the biological factors of how loneliness is terrible for us, while chosen solitude and content solitude is not. Humans, first of all, are social beings. We hear this all the time. But we want to break that cliche down and just answer the question without giving you a bland statement. Right, Karen? Right, and I think we should totally provide a reasoning for how this cliche of humans are social beings directly leads to the biological implications of loneliness. Right, exactly. We'll start from the beginning. In early human society, we were mostly hunter and gatherers. Humans were pretty weak by themselves because there are no guns, no shelter like the houses or townhouses or apartments we live in, and there isn't a steady source of water. So we can't just, well, they can't just walk to the sink and grab a, grab a cup of water. So they were very weak by themselves, so they had to specialize in many different jobs. And they were especially predators of smaller animals. And they were prey of larger predators. 
Now we have lions in zoos, but thousands of years ago, or even millions of years ago, lions were a huge threat to us. Can't just ride tanks over them. Because we had such a long period in our intellectual history and biological history of living in tribal societies where we depend on each other a lot, our brains have set up an equation for us. So the extent to which you are integrated into a society was directly proportional to the chances that you're going to survive. Natural selection rewarded group behavior, and those who are outcasted probably were eaten by larger predators, or maybe they were starved to death, or maybe they were too thirsty and then they died because of thirst. <gasps> Scare me. <laughs> Our brains were adapted to be sensitive to others, and we need to maintain social relations. And loneliness was a convention to remind us that beep beep, time to talk to your friends and socialize and not feel lonely. And building onto that, in a tribe, perhaps the worst injury is not to be chewed on by a lion, but the worst injury could be to be excluded. Our brain creates something called social pain, the pain we feel when interpersonal connections are lost and when we detect signs that we may lose these connections, such as rejection. This pain helps us change our behavior. And by the way, social pain relies on the same regions of the brain's physical pain, so it does affect our bodies tangibly. It's not just some conceptual thing we made up on the spot. It does exist, and we feel it. This makes actually a lot of sense, and it isn't just our brains being extra. The phenomenon of the in-group and out-groups were very strong because these communities were what you depended on to live. And not to mention that these were the people you were born into, basically, and these will be the people that you live with until you die. That is, if you are not outcasted. Yeah, so in this world of social media, why do we still feel so lonely if, if we are supposed to be really social animals? I thought about that, and I think this is because the main form of communication is a very monotone type of communication called using text, which requires us to be literate, and we have to be able to write stuff, which is very uncommon in, uh, when we look at the scope of human evolution, because most of the communication is done by speaking. It is one of the most efficient ways to communicate, obviously. Those who were worse at killing lions and better at writing stuff likely had an evolutionary disadvantage when lions came chasing around, and that's a problem. So if you link this to evolution, we can also say that we feel lonelier in social media because our default mode of communication, which is speaking, is not utilized as much. Speaking of social media, that kind of reminded me of the link with chronic loneliness and the modern world, quote-unquote. Um, the modern world, as we know it, focuses a lot on the individual. So even though the social setup is ingrained in our biology, in the Renaissance, the focus on the self actually changed this a lot for us. And later in the Industrial Revolution, capital and self-interest overrode the group identity. And people left their families into factories. Just gonna clarify, by the modern world, are you specifically referring to Western culture? Mm -hmm. And the changes, especially in the Western culture over the few centuries, was not enough for our social settings to adapt. And this is why that we still feel lonely, because we're using a new convention with the old hardware. It's like a computer. You have new software, but you have a very old hardware. So that doesn't really match, and chronic loneliness is the result of that disparity. So when our ancestors had one secure social net of 50 to 100 people, our social nets were very unstable as we all pursue our own education, careers, love, and we travel a lot to do so. As a result of all these ambitions or goals, 
the easiest thing to sacrifice was time to spend with friends or perhaps family because now we all concentrate on ourselves. It's all about me, me, me. And perhaps one day, when you were used to this type of lifestyle, when we have some free time at our disposal, we realize that there is no one to spend it with. And that could be the source of chronic loneliness. That is so sad. I know. I hope one day I'll have someone to spend time with. <laughs> I'll, I'll be so lonely. Unless I convince myself that I am not lonely. But that is a different story. Make up your imaginary friend. <laughs> so you mentioned how our social nets are more unstable now. And that reminds me of how research shows that young people are actually more lonely. So I am supposed to be more lonely than my mom. Or at least by probability, I should be more lonely than my mom. Just for your reference, in case you don't believe me. Uh, so in 2019, YouGov surveyed over 1,000 U.S. adults about loneliness and social isolation. And this survey found that 29% of millennials always or often felt lonely, and 27% had no close friends. Whereas baby boomers had lower rates of loneliness, with only 15% always or often feeling lonely, and 16% of people saying that they have no close friends. Another survey, called the Cigna 2020 Loneliness Survey, reached the same conclusion that younger adults seem to be lonelier than older adults. If you don't believe me, feel free to Google this. First thing that could come off the top of your head is that social media is definitely playing an effect, as we said earlier. And young people make up much more of the user demographic on social media. And as Amy mentioned before, our relationships are more unstable, as seen by frequency of hookups and etc. increasing. It seems like there is some form of more, quote, shallow, end quote, connection among young people, in that there seems to be less at stake. So when you're having a hookup, you spend dash, no feelings are hurt. But if this is back in the days when every relationship was a committed relationship directing straightly towards marriage, you would lose a lot and get emotionally harmed a lot. That's not necessarily true, because as adults, it's difficult to make new close connections. There are also all environmental factors involved when waging whether or not to befriend someone, like competition at work, business relations, and etc. Um, I guess no conflict in interest is a prerequisite before making friends. And studies have shown that one in three seniors are lonely. The stress from loneliness makes humans age quicker, makes our immune systems weaker, makes cancer deadlier, and makes our memory decay faster. Above all, it shortens our life expectancy by 14%. They're pretty much as harmful as smoking an entire cigarette pack a day. Don't let the words psychological stress fool you. They're just as harmful as physical stress. And especially in seniors' homes, these seniors were known to be lonely from personal experience. I was a volunteer at a senior's home, and most seniors meet their family only once a week or once bi-weekly. For the rest of their days, they zone out in the lounges. You could imagine that they talk to each other, but these seniors prefer to live by themselves, and they often had conflicts with each other and even with the staff. We're not talking about just any loneliness, we're talking about chronic loneliness. We're lonely because there are no connections, right? I mean, there are connections, sure, but those are not necessarily the connections you need to not feel lonely or feel happy with yourself. Well, why don't people just make connections? As mentioned previously, social pain activates similar regions in the brain as physical pain. When we're in pain or are stressed, our body activates its sympathetic nervous system and a response system called general adaptation syndrome, which consists of the stages alarm, resistance, and exhaustion. Just by listening to it sounds unhealthy. So this is basically a protection mechanism. And because we try to do 
that and protect ourselves, our brain kind of forces us to push others away because our brains assume that other mean harm. Due to this protection mechanism, we tend to be more sensitive to others' expressions, but we understand them way less and often misinterpret them. Obviously, this is socially harmful and makes you an undesirable person to befriend or talk to, so you become more lonely. And in doing so, you start the vicious cycle again. All in all, chronic loneliness is a positive feedback loop with a negative effect. Wait, I'm, I'm kind of confused. Why can't they just like step out of this cycle? Mm, I guess it's not easy as I made it sound. Uh, well, for someone that thinks that nobody cares, why would they attempt something when they know that it'll fail? Rejection hurts just as much as loneliness itself. So for them, they actually consciously believe that they will be rejected no matter what they do. So they wouldn't put themselves out there because they feel like they can already predict it and they believe it with their whole hearts. So it's very difficult for them to realize that other people actually do care about them and they won't reject them. Now, I have a question for you, Karen. Bring it on. Well, do you think that loneliness is a result from not being able to sit in a room alone? Like Blaise Pascal's famous, famous quote, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Do you have some thoughts on that? Let me think about this. So this is how I interpret it. If you're able to sit in a room alone, then you must be comfortable sitting in a room alone. So you are okay with being alone. If you are okay with being alone, then you won't feel some sort of negative feeling from being alone. This is to say that in order to enjoy solitude, we have to be comfortable with ourselves. And this has to do with our self-worth and self-esteem. When our self-esteem is low, we tend to be a bit meaner to ourselves. When we handle rejection or failure, we tend to think something like, oh, I should have known. Why would they like me? Why did I even give it a try? This wasn't even worth it, right? So then we go down this rabbit hole of sadness. We make ourselves sad, then we get more sad, and as a result, we make ourselves even more sad. So I figured if we're going to do a podcast, we're going to talk about chronic loneliness and not provide some input on how to fix this problem. That sounds like a slightly sad podcast. So why don't we talk about how to fix chronic loneliness? Of course, this does not work for everyone. We are not therapists. Do not quote us. These are just some suggestions. You can use the own sources that you trust. Right, yeah, and I wouldn't use the word fix. I would use the word remedy a little bit. And this is just a suggestion by a famous psychologist, which I found his TikTok on YouTube. So yeah, there's a source. Um, first of all, this method that we use to remedy chronic loneliness is something called emotional first aid. Because psychological stressors are a chain reaction, and especially in chronic loneliness, we could kind of, first of all, pay attention to emotional pain. Because our mind is very hard to change once we become convinced of something. Like if you handle a rejection, and that hurt you a lot. But when you're convinced that you know you deserve to be rejected, that's going to stay with you for a very long time, even after you recovered out of that specific rejection. This is why so many negative things form a chain reaction and have a snowball effect. We need to stop them before they elevate. We need to learn how to process failure and rejection and be sensitive to our emotions that arise out of these unfortunate events. And a second tip is probably to stop ruminating, to stop yourself from going, the, going down the rabbit hole of these negative feelings. It's tempting to think the worst of things. And
and it may make you feel better because it doesn't unfold to the worst of things. But you feel very empty afterwards, and there's always this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? This is probably the biggest takeaway of today. Learn to do emotional first aid, recognize it, and then prevent it. A it is amazing to be less sad. Exactly. <laughs> so it could be said that most of us are lonely alone, but also are lonely together because we're not the only ones that feel lonely. It has become a public lonely pandemic, especially around chronic loneliness. It is a universal human experience. With that said, Karen, would you think that this chronic loneliness problem is a public health crisis? So I'm going to put my personal answer up there. Obviously, this is not the answer that everyone would give, but here's my perspective. I think the line between personal and public is very blurred. You could use the terms personal crisis or public health crisis depending on what effect you want. For example, if you want a lot of people to care, or you think a lot of people should care, or you think this is a problem among a lot of people, then you use the word public health crisis. The word public in this phrase automatically means that whoever is reading this should care because it is public and it might affect the reader. Whereas if you use personal crisis, then it seems like whoever is experiencing loneliness, it is that person's own problem, and readers are obviously less incentivized to care. So if nobody cares, it's a personal crisis. Really depends on how you want to interpret this. I would like to use the terms interchangeably depending on how much I want people to care. When I feel lonely, I like to call it personal crisis. But when I see a lot of other people feeling lonely, even though I'm not feeling lonely, I might call it a public health crisis.、It、really depends on the situation. So that brings us to the end of this podcast and loneliness talk. But before you leave, we have an interesting question for you. So you know how people are going like, "We pandemic." Yeah, I hope that woke you up if you are falling asleep from this podcast. So we have this pandemic here called COVID, and COVID is making us really sit at home. But we are also connected to a bunch of other people virtually via the internet. So we can really think about how this affects our loneliness. Considering, say, we are very connected to others via the internet, but at the same time we are very physically disconnected, or at least we should be. So that is some food for thought. Are we lonelier? Are we less lonely? Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. Go home and enjoy the solitude, maybe, or maybe listen to our other podcasts. <laughs>